In this episode of Cross Defense, we continue our conversation about woman and the divine image. We answer a question from a listener regarding single women in Bible study, and then we turn our attention to lawlessness and bad government before getting to the Lord's Prayer, which is our answer to these things. Stick around. It's going to be a great show. This is Cross Defense from KFUO Radio. If you're new around here, go check out KFUO.org. That's the radio station that's putting out this show and all the other great programs for your listening edification. We have a plethora of content. Yes, a plethora, a multiplicity, a boatload of great content for your blessing. So check it out. I'm your host of this particular show, Cross Defense, the Reverend Tyrell Bramwell, pastor of St. Mark Lutheran Church in Ferndale, California. Today we're looking at, or I'm hoping that we will look at, lawlessness, the blessing of good government, the woes of bad government, and how the Lord's Prayer curbs sinful reactions to the societal evils that we see all around us. And speaking of plethoras, aren't we seeing a plethora of those these days? It sure would seem so. Before we get into that, though, during this first segment and perhaps into the next one, I want to answer a listener's question regarding the previous episode's content conversation on Woman and the Divine Image. I don't know how long this is going to take us exactly. I don't want to give her a short shrift. Um, so we're going to answer this question, see how, as far as we can get into it and out of it, and on to the next topic. It's like I tell my people in Bible study, we're not really on a timetable here. We are studying God's Word. We're going to get something great out of this, no matter what topic we're talking about. That's the same thing I want to tell you today. If we don't get to lawlessness and bad government and good government and, and how the Lord's Prayer interacts with that and it helps us react to it, we'll get to that next time or the time after that or the time after that. We're not in a hurry. We're in God's Word. So if something in today's show grabs you by the collar, turns a light bulb on over your head, light bulb, or otherwise moves you to want to send me an email, you can do that via the contact form at stmarksferndale.com. Go to S-T-M-A-R-K-S. Ferndale.com. You'll see the contact page there at the top, or at least on the menu there at the top. Click that baby, go to the page, and drop me an email, just like Dana did with this question from last week's show. Dana writes, I was excited to see a new episode of Cross Defense pop up on my podcast feed. I've always enjoyed the show. Thanks, Dana. I'm excited that it popped up in your feed as well. And that reminds me to tell everyone, you can listen to these shows via your favorite podcast app. Whatever podcast app you like to use, you can find Cross Defense and the other shows from KFUO in that app. Look for us, Cross Defense from KFUO Radio. Thanks, Dana, for listening, and I'm excited it's back as well. So let's get into your comment, your question. I have a question regarding your discussion on women, she says, especially the role of women in church. I've been an LCMS Lutheran my entire life, praise be to God, Dana, and have always thought Women pastors were a weird concept. Yes, weird and anti-biblical. Anti-biblical. But I've sometimes struggled with how the passages about being silent in church apply elsewhere, such as what you said about Bible study, and how perhaps women should be encouraging their husbands to ask the questions. Ah, see, people? See what's going on here? We are exciting the imagination. I proposed an example, an imaginary fantastical, perhaps, depending on where you're at, example of how women in the church and how we understand the roles of women and motherhood and all that the created order, all of that, how it relates not only to the divine service and not only to the family, but also to our interaction with one another 
And look at that. Now we have conversation coming out of that. This is great. Exciting the imagination. I can see the point in this, she says, as I have noticed, the Bible study, that in Bible study, excuse me, that women can sometimes dominate the conversation. Go figure. Women like to talk. <laughs> and that the men almost seem unwilling to speak up when that happens. Well, don't you know, Dana, they're all trying to be the strong silent type. Don't you know? <laughs> uh, no, I'm speaking uh, lightly. Dana, you're tracking with me exactly. I've seen this too. I know many of us have. I know many of my brother pastors have. It's happening all over the church. Don't think it's just in your location. You and I are not the only ones. When we're in Bible study and the pastor's teaching, he's exercising his vocation in a similar way, truly in a similar way, as he does when he preaches in the pulpit during the divine service. He's addressing an assembly of believers, the saints, who've been gathered by the Spirit and they're studying the Word, he's addressing them with an exposition of God's Word that he's prepared ahead of time in prayerful study. And let's say a member of the congregation raises his or her hand. doesn't even have to be a woman at this point, just raises his or her hand. But instead of asking for further insight, the person uses the opportunity to actually express themselves, to teach his or her personal take on the given passage or topic at hand. When this happens, we need to walk with extreme caution. Both 1 Corinthians 14, 26 to 40, take note of this. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 to 40, and James 3, 1 to 5 guide us in this matter. But for the sake of time, this is why I said take note of it, I'm going to leave you to look up those passages for yourself. That's 1 Corinthians 14, 26 to 40, and James 3, 1 to 5. Take a look at those in reaction to what I just said about Bible study and how someone can take over the floor, so to speak, and start teaching in, in lieu of, or they're disguising their question, their statement, I should say, as a question, right? This happens all the time. And I don't think it happens maliciously, but it does happen. You know, it can happen maliciously, but I don't think it always does. And I'm, we want to keep the Eighth Commandment. We have put the best construction on this. But the pastor still has a responsibility as the one who's been called and charged to lead those people, those Christians, that flock. It's his responsibility to be bringing this up and making sure that he's aware of this. You know? Okay, so I can recall a specific time in my ministry, a number of them, but a specific time where this happened to me, not even by a member of the congregation, Someone was visiting. It was their first time visiting us on a Sunday morning, first time in Bible study, and was comfortable enough. This is giving props to my congregation, super welcoming, super loving. Way to go, guys. Comfortable enough to raise their hand. That's odd in and of itself. Awesome. But then instead of asking a question, literally turned the chair, and she started teaching, expressing with confidence and certainty, asserting her take on this passage that we were looking at as if it was biblical truth, and it wasn't. It wasn't. See, this is the danger we're dealing with. It hasn't, not just only in the divine service, it has to do with the Bible study too. It has to do with any time we're gathering together as church. So we want to be extremely careful. Okay, so let's get to your question though. You ask, how does this work with women who are single or widowed or whose husband isn't a Christian? And you say, I fall in the far, former category of being single. 
These women can't exactly go home and ask their husband. And while some could ask their father, many don't have that option either. Should they not ask questions in Bible study? Maybe ask the pastor afterwards? It's a good nest of questions, Dana. You said, I did like what you said about how we often think about these passages as being negative towards women instead of thinking of it in a positive way as encouraging men to do their duty. Thank you for noticing that because that really is the angle we were coming at with this. We are talking about the uh, created order, the relationship between men and women that is pre-fall and that man was first and then women, woman, right? And that Adam was given the responsibility of speaking God's word to woman, to Eve, and she was the congregation listening. And the devil comes along and he, he comes into the listener, not the speaker. But the speaker is sitting by, not doing his job. And that's the angle you recognize as coming from. Thank you for that. And, and thank you for your, your wonderfully humble spirit in asking your question. It's obvious that you desire to be faithful to God's word. Now, to be sure, the verses mentioned last week, 1 Corinthians 14, 34, and those surrounding it, and 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 15, are specifically dealing with women exercising the pastoral office. This is clear from the passages, it's clear from the, the Greek, all of that. The teaching office in the church is not to be given to women. There's an overt emphasis on the divine service here. And Paul's instruction is setting the church apart from the pagan culture surrounding it, from the society the church exists within, which at that time had priestesses, and temple prostitutes, all that kind of stuff. We are not to be like that. And there's not to be a confusion in our witness that we're even remotely close to that. This is why I'm very adamant about not being confused as an LCMS church with an ELCA church. We now are completely different. There are many, many problems in the ELCA that are not in the Missouri Synod. And if we're not on guard, they could become problems in the Missouri Synod, but we need to be remain, remaining faithful to God's Word. And so that's what we're dealing with, is this sort of thing. Not taking our operational cues from society, from the world we live in, but actually taking them from God's Word to shape the world we live in from us outward, not outward inward. Yeah? My Bible study example, as you un obviously understand it, focuses on that created order aspect, that Genesis 3.16 aspect. And certainly I don't mean to suggest that women can't engage in, in the public study of God's Word in an active way, asking questions and, and engaging. No, not at all. I'm not saying that, that can't happen. And I don't know a single pastor in the Missouri Synod who is teaching that. Maybe there are some, but I don't think so. I know a lot of our guys, good guys, and they're not ever trying to shut down women from learning God's Word. It's that focus on our vocations in relation to one another. We're going to get to that in a little, a little bit here. Uh, more let God's Word show us that. So, um, yeah, I don't know a single pastor in the Missouri Center that's doing that. But if women, listen to this. If you are using the opportunity in Bible study not to further your own understanding of God's Word with sincerity, but to actually teach and to preach, to dominate, to rule over, rather than to submit to God's Word, you are in the wrong. Don't use, abuse, I should say, don't abuse the politeness and the, uh, the courtesy that your pastor extends to you as 
a good, faithful man of God, and then use that to teach your view. Your pastor has put a, has put a lot of time into the Bible study, and he's there to teach God's Word, not his view, God's Word, right? There's a difference there. It's not just a you know open mic time of like, well, I think this, and I think that, and I think that. No, the pastor is teaching from his vocation. Okay, so uh, this does happen more often than not. Just be aware of it. Repent of it if you're doing it, and, and, and refrain from it. We are, my friends, we are dealing with one of the most controversial topics in our day and age. I don't know if you recognize that. We are dealing with it. We are smack dab in the middle of the eye of the storm with this topic. The culture war is surrounding this whole thing with men and women and, and genders, sexes, that whole thing. This is it, okay? Now, I'm assuming most of us are aware of the recent decisions of the Supreme Court. One of them, maybe not the most well-known recently, we've been focusing on Roe v. Wade, and maybe the Second Amendment got your attention, things like that. But Carson v. Mankin, Mackin, Macon, I don't know how you say it, struck down a main law that prohibited religious schools from receiving public funds. Listen to this. Maine's Attorney General, Aaron Frey, responded to the decision in a press release that went out on Maine.gov on June 21st. In it, he said, and I quote, I am terribly disappointed and disheartened by the decision, the education provided by the schools at issue here is inimical to public education. So he's disheartened by the decision of the Supreme Court. He says it's the schools aren't teaching what the public school should be teaching. And then he goes on, he says some other stuff, and then he goes on to say, one school teaches their children, that the husband is to be the leader of the household. This is mentioned in, in the reason why he, why he is disappointed and disheartened that one school actually has the audacity to teach that the husband is the leader of the household. Now, last week I read this quote. I'll read it again from Christian Dogmatics, Volume 1, from Francis Pieper. People in our day are becoming more and more oblivious to God's divine order, and this is for two reasons. The first one, in spite of its wide circulation, the Bible exerts less influence on human society than formerly. So formerly, it exerted a lot more influence. Now, my version of Pieper's dogmatics, Christian dogmatics, is copyright 1950. But if you read the foreword, if you're checking yours out of your library at church, Pieper completed volume one, what we call volume one, in 1924. So 100 years ago, 98 years ago, Reverend Pieper said the Bible was losing its influence on human society. Man, was he right. So right that Maine's attorney general in 2022 is appalled that a Christian school would teach that the husband is to be the leader of the household, as Scripture says. Maybe one of our uh, faithful Lutheran churches in Maine should actually mail a copy of Luther's Small Catechism to the Attorney General, Mr. Frey, so he can see just what the head of the family should teach in a simple way to his household. <laughs> that refrain over and over is going to drive him nuts. But like uh, nails on a chalkboard. We are in the eyes of the storm, my friends. This is a radical concept to be teaching in 2022 that men are to be the head of the house, that they are the ones who are supposed to be raising their hands and asking for the sake of their entire family, 
that they are the ones who are supposed to be teaching their family, and that women in meekness, like we said last week, not that you can't, not that you don't have the ability, I should say, but that you ought not. And not necessarily just for you. This is meekness. You have the power, but for the sake of your neighbor, for the man, to help him live out his role, and not just your man. Dana, your question is, I mean, you're single. And you recognize that the conversation can be dominated by the women in the Bible study. And so if women recognize this, just being a little more careful, a little slower with their tongue, give the men the opportunity. Maybe at this point in 2022, 2022, even ask the men what they think. Ask them to engage the conversation in Bible study as well. I think it's time to excite your imagination. That's how this question came up, isn't it? We were exciting the imagination about Bible study and how this what we recognize in the divine service, how it could play out in Bible study if we were intentional about it. And I asked you to imagine that. And so now I want to excite your imagination even more. Let's do that. How are we going to do that exactly? Well, by listening to C.S. Lewis and what he has to say about the mixing of the sexes in educational situations. He's writing in 1946, and he's talking about what he's noticed about men participating in education and the demise of their energy, okay? This applies to our universities, it applies to our Concordias, it applies to our public schools and our parochial schools within the LCMS. It applies to, though, to our Bible studies, to our Bible studies where the sexes are mixed and engaged with God's Word in an educational situation. Okay, so here's what he has to say. In modern social life, the sexes are more continuously mixed than they were in earlier periods. We must not forget this. This probably has many good results, but it has one bad result. Among young people, obviously, well, I'm not so sure it was obvious, Jack, it reduces the amount of serious argument about ideas. When the young male bird is in the presence of the young female, it must, nature insists, display its plumage. Any mixed society thus becomes the scene of wit, banter, persiflage, anecdote of everything in the world rather than prolonged and rigorous discussion on ultimate issues, or of those serious masculine friendships in which such discussion arises. Hence, in our student population, a lowering of metaphysical energy. The only serious questions now discussed are those which seem to have a practical importance, i.e. the psychological and sociological problems. For these satisfy the intense practicality and concreteness of the female. Think about the studies in our universities in America today. Think about the gender studies. They are fitting into this psychological and sociological arena, are they not? And they are very practical, right? That is, no doubt, C.S. Lewis says, her glory and her proper contribution to the common wisdom of the race, the concreteness, the practical. But the proper glory of the masculine mind its disinterested concern with truth for truth's own sake, with the cosmic and metaphysical, is being impaired. Thus again, as the previous change cuts us off from the past, this cuts us off from the eternal. We are being further isolated, forced down to the immediate and the quotidian, that is, the daily, the ordinary, the mundane, and one example from Scripture immediately pops to mind, and that's Pontius Pilate and his wife. Pilate asks that famous question, what is truth? 
this giant metaphysical question, this ultimate reality. His wife is worried about the practical danger of Pilate engaging with Jesus because of the dream she had. Okay, well, consider your imagination further excited. Let's call that our first segment. Take a break, and we'll be right back after this. Each weekday on The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, we share and discuss stories of Living Boldly Lutheran. Including missionary updates, mercy work, events and topics applicable to your daily vocations, and maybe some fresh dark roast. The Coffee Hour weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO, underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. Defense. I am your host, Reverend Tyrell Bramwell. You're listening to KFUO.org, Christ for You, anytime, anywhere. We are talking about the topic of women in Bible study and asking questions. This is from a listener question about this very topic. What do we do when you're single and you're thinking about how Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy that women are to be silent in the church? How does this work for the situation of Bible study. We just got down looking at C.S. Lewis's comment about mixing the sexes and how this is a, a much more um, relegated issue to our time period than it is the rest of human history, that the sexes have been intermixed. And we looked at that and how it makes it to where men don't want to engage. So right now we're talking about the fallout, the consequences of mixed education in Bible study. Dana has observed, I have observed, I'm sure you have observed, that Women can tend to dominate the conversation in Bible study, and men tend to be quiet. This is very much Adam in the Garden of Eden. Whether it's shirking his responsibility or just because men tend to be the strong, silent type and don't really want to engage, we seem to hear a lot more of the women talking than the men. She observes this, I observe this, you have probably observed this too. So this is what we're talking about right now. If you have a comment or question about it, you can go to stmarksferndale.com, go to the contact form and drop me a message. That's S-T-M-A-R-K-S ferndale.com, stmarksferndale.com. Now, Dana knows her Bible, I'm pretty sure. I'm picking this up, that Dana, pretty well versed in scripture, praise be to God. She mentioned single women, widows who are once were married but are single now, women married to non-Christian husbands, and the idea of asking their father, and all these things are brought up in scripture. And so I'm pretty sure Dana is a well-catechized member of the church, lifelong Lutheran, she says. So, hey, kudos to you, to all those who've been teaching you your whole life. Now, Dana says she's in the single camp. There's also, I should mention, the divorced camp that will have those kind of single women in our Bible studies and in our churches, too. So we should probably keep that in mind as well. In 1 Timothy 5, 1 to 16, Paul teaches Pastor Timothy, and by extension, he teaches the whole church, how pastors are to engage with the congregation. And I really just want to emphasize one particular part of this. This isn't quite answering Dana's question in, in a direct way, but it should inform our thinking as we engage the question of how do single women get their questions answered in the Bible study. And I'm just I'm telling you, ask the question. I'll get to that in a second. But 1 Timothy 5, verse 1, do not rebuke an older man, 
but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. I want to note this text, even though this may not be the first place you would have gone to to answer this question. I want to note the types of people in the congregation and how pastors, and so then also by extension elders, and all those in those offices that are teaching, how they are to engage with the, the people, the laity, the parishioners, all of them, not just single women, but everyone. It's important. We're not dealing with, in the church, in the, the assembly of the saints, we're not just dealing with this sort of uh, issue of representative democracy kind of thing. This isn't a, an American uh, society issue. That's the state, that's the civil realm. We're dealing with the church, which has shaped the American society does have a fingerprint on it, but we're dealing with family. The church is a family. Our representation among the family is one of love, mercy, care, kindness. It's service to neighbor. The church is not the state. So whether we're talking about single women, married women, widowed, divorced, male, female, young, old, Jew, Greek, Slave-free, all the categories of Galatians 3, 28, right? No matter who we're talking about, everyone is to be treated with respect. So I want you to also think about this. Maybe you can write this Bible verse down as well. Romans 15, 1 and 2. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So if you think being single makes you weak because you don't have a husband to ask the question, so maybe there's an argument to be made there that you're, you're the exception to the rule. Most women are being married, or at least from the biblical perspective, are pursuing marriage and, and, and motherhood, as we talked about last week, that this is a, a divine, wonderful gift to be the divine image bearer, I should say. I'll find my words. Don't worry. I'll catch up. My mind and my mouth will start to correlate. Um, if you think this makes you weaker in the eyes of the assembly, in the eyes of God, well then, know this. I'm not making that argument, but if that is the perception that you don't have the same benefits as other women because you're single, every woman should know this. Romans 15, 1-2, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Your pastor, strong in God's word. Your elders, strong in God's word. All the men that are there, well-equipped, and the other women around you, strong in God's word, have an obligation to bear with you. Not to please ourselves. Not to do what we want. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up, to build you up. So, Dana, single woman, your pastor, your elders, all the congregation around you, they have an obligation to serve you, to build you up to think about your needs, your interests, what's going on with your life, and how you need to be served, even if you don't feel like you have a voice, which I think you do, and I know in your congregation, I don't know a single Lutheran church, Missouri Synod congregation that's not letting women speak in Bible study, so I know this is kind of a hypothetical. But as we're asking it seriously, trying to be faithful to God's Word, you have many people on your side. So let's not ever forget that. That's why I'm taking us to 1 Timothy 5, that we don't forget our interaction with one another is always as family for the other person's good. As Jesus says, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, right? It's for the other person's good. Now, this may not play itself out perfectly in our sinful world and in the church that is 
filled with sinners, but this is the idea that we are striving for. This is the heart of the Christian as we're engaging with one another. Okay, so back to 1 Timothy 5 for just a little bit more. Starting in verse 3, honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. As you mentioned, some women can certainly go to dad for faithful explanation of doctrine, not to husband. This is a God-pleasing thing, regardless of what Mr. Frey out there, the attorney general in Maine, has to say. It is good for dads to be the heads of the house and to actually devote themselves to their vocation of father, to, to know God's word and to serve their family, not just when their children are at home, but even when their children are grown and out of the home, to be well-versed in Scripture, to be able to teach them, to be the pastor of that family, of his personal family, to serve his relatives with God's Word in conjunction and in concert with the entire congregation that he's a part of, that you're a part of. So you nailed that, very much so. Some women can go to dads, and, and for that reason, I just want to pause there for a second to focus again. This is service to men so that men can be service to everyone else as well. We're creating this economy. God is creating this economy by these instructions, and it is well intended and God-pleasing if we can live it out. So building up the household and the relationships that God has ordered, this is a good thing not only for the church, but for the family and for the state. All three estates are blessed by this. Okay, so um, we're going to jump to, let's see here, I have a lot more to talk about, I could talk about... Um, Timothy, in First Timothy, he goes on. Paul talks about men providing for not just their uh, their households, but the, all their relatives. So there's that aspect to the question as well. If you have other relatives in the church, they can also uh, make sure you're being served. And um, yeah, there's lots of stuff going he- here. I want to keep us going for the sake of time. Uh, Dana, you mentioned that you're single and not widowed, so I want to specifically address that. I don't want to overlook your particular situation. Uh, What does Paul tell us about being single? Paul tells us he prefers it, actually. To the unmarried and widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single, as I am. 1 Corinthians 7, 8. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. 7, 17. The unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. See, this is you, Dana. You reached out with this email because you're anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. It was all over your email. You could tell the spirit of wanting to be faithful to God's word. So you're doing the very thing that Paul is describing and and, and sees here. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. That's in verse 734. There are other passages also that speak to this. Obviously, many people are probably thinking Acts 6, where uh, some of the widows aren't being served. And so we have this um, sending out of the the men who are well qualified so the apostles can continue to to serve and be in prayer and to teach in the word. Um, and so there's, they raise up people to take care of the widows. This is part of our church function together, our relationship. We do raise up people to make sure that those who are voiceless have a voice. Ask your questions just as you did in your email, Dana, right? 
what you're doing is you're seeking to live a godly life, 1 Corinthians 7.17 style, 7.34 style, excuse me. Uh, that's what you're trying to do. So I say, keep it up. God be praised that you're there to support your pastor as he's teaching and that you want to make sure that you're building up all the men in your congregation so that your entire congregation is served. And God bless you and all the other women in your congregation doing the same thing. You guys are amazing. Okay, we are going to uh, shift gears here, and we're going to start looking at lawlessness, good government, bad government, and how the fourth commandment helps curb our sinful reaction to these things as we see them. Now, there are current examples of lawlessness, poor government, and rash reactions that I want to highlight. I'm going to use some news articles to highlight this for us all. Here are some recent news articles that highlight lawlessness, poor government, and perhaps rash reactions. Here we go. At least six slaughtered, over 30 hurt in shooting at parade in Chicago suburb just this past July 4th. Ongoing news, right? Chicago crowds attack police, shoot fireworks in late night unrest. Illegal drag race ends with thugs attacking Chicago cops, throwing live fireworks into vehicle. What's going on in Chicago? All of you saints who live out in that area, God bless you and protect you. May his angels surround you and guard you. San Francisco officials slap a couple with a $1,500 warning for parking on their own property. Governor Newsom signs off on reversing loitering law police use to crack down on human trafficking and prostitution. New York to screen gun applicants' social media accounts in wake of SCOTUS 2A rebuke. California moves forward with a bill to become sanctuary state for kids to undergo transgender treatment. At least 50 migrants found dead in San Antonio, Texas. And leftists renounce Independence Day on Twitter, burn country to... Oh, um, okay, hold on. This last article... How can I say this without saying this? See, the headline breaks the second commandment and uses the Lord's name in vain. Um, we're dealing with the cursing aspect of the second commandment here, damning someone in the name of God. Let's see, what are we going to do? Um, it's interesting that the, the headline actually prints the word God, but it has dashes for the rest of the word. So we could do this the old standby way. We could censor bleep this out. But I'm just sitting here. I'm not going to use the Lord's name in vain. So there's nothing really to bleep out, just uh, bleeping out empty air. How about this? How about this? Parents and pastors alike know that children are really good at keeping us on the straight and narrow. They, they take Jesus' word for, uh, for his word. They take him for his word. So what Jesus says, that's that. What the Bible says, that's that. Uh, that's just how kids are. So let's, let's do this. Let's, let's give this whole thing from now on, moving forward across the fence, Let's give this the Mark 10:15 treatment, okay? And and anytime we have to uh, read out something like this, we'll we'll do this. Here we go. Leftists renounce Independence Day on Twitter. Burn country to the ground from the mouths of babes. All right, so we could go on for days with these articles. These are just a few of the headlines that I just combed through real quickly this past week. Grabbed about lawlessness, about bad government, uh, and the equally poor reactions to the lawlessness and bad government. I'm, I'm sure you see it all the time, wherever you're at. This is what we're going to spend the last segment of the show talking about. We'll do that right after this break. 
Don't go away. You're listening to Cross Defense. The life of the Christian church is a life in exile. We are grieved by various trials. False teachers and their deceptive teachings wage war against the truth. How can we believe and live as faithful and joyful Christians while we sojourn here? This is Pastor Timothy Apple, host of Sharper Iron. We're starting a new series, The Imperishable Inheritance. We will be going through 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and Jude. Join us every weekday morning at 8 on KFUO to rejoice in the imperishable inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus. Welcome back to Cross Defense. I'm your host, the Reverend Tyrell Bramwell, pastor of St. Mark Lutheran Church in Ferndale, California, and that's where you can go to reach out to me. If you have any comments or questions about today's show, go to the contact page on stmarksferndale.com, S-T-M-A-R-K-S, ferndale.com, and drop me a line. I'd be glad to hear from you. We've shifted gears now. The last part of the last segment, we started focusing on lawlessness and the woes of bad government, the blessing of good government, and we're going to look at how the Lord's Prayer curbs our sinful reaction to these things because we're seeing a lot more of them in the news and all around us in this day and age. So instead of focusing on bad reactions, let's look at what the Bible has to say about these things. And and we, we just went over a few articles, some <laughs> had some fun there with the last one about leftists wanting to burn down this country. And we're going to use that as an example later on down the road as well. Let's get into it. When I think about lawlessness and bad government and how to engage the reality of our world scripturally, I do think about the Lord's Prayer. This is why we're talking about it today. Jesus taught us to pray his petitionary prayer. It is a petitionary prayer. It's one that's asking him to give us things, asking him to engage in our lives, asking our Father to do certain things, our Heavenly Father. It's a tool in the Christian's war belt that among other things brings comfort to our souls in the midst of trial, in the midst of tribulation. And so let's go to the Lord's Prayer and comfort the soul. You can find Jesus' perfect prayer in Matthew 6, 9 to 13 as well. But I'm going to take us to Luke 11, 1 to 4. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples, and he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Now, everywhere we look, we're encountering lawlessness and the decisions of bad government. I mean, people are literally being find for parking on their own property. There's a problem with our governmental policies. Okay, there's some things going on here. So where is our comfort in the midst of this sort of thing? In the midst of the shootings and all the chaos that's going on out there, our comfort is the cross, just as you would expect. It's Christ crucified for the forgiveness of our sins. He is our comfort all the time. The one who taught us how to pray is our comfort. And so we pray to him. We pray to the King of Kings the ruler of rulers, the one who instituted government for our well-being. We pray to him to do good, the one who is Lord over both the right hand and the left hand kingdom, the civil and the ecclesial realms. 
Martin Luther offers a great explanation to our request for forgiveness of sins in the Lord's Prayer. He says, we pray in this petition that our Father in heaven would not look at our sins or deny our prayer because of our sins. We are neither worthy of the things for which we pray, nor have we deserved them, but we ask that he would give them to us all by grace. By grace. For we daily sin much and surely deserve nothing but punishment. So we too will sincerely forgive and gladly do good to those who sin against us. Gladly do good to those who sin against us. That's a tall order. Grace is how it's done. Grace that we receive from Christ. In the face of lawlessness, in the face of bad government, in the face of rash, sinful reactions to civil injustice, violence, death, chaos, all of this, we turn to Christ. That's what the Christian does. We pray as he taught us, knowing that by grace, our Heavenly Father listens to our petitions. That's what's going on for the Christian. And for the sake of Christ, we know that our Father is eager to answer our prayers, eager to answer them. Romans 5, 1 comes to mind, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the cross, you and I are at peace with God even in the midst of lawlessness and even in the midst of bad government and even in the midst of other people reacting poorly to the bad government and to the, uh, the lawlessness that's all around us, we can still react faithfully, rightly, properly. Okay, so Jesus gives us his prayer in Luke 11, 2, 1 to 4. In verse 5 and following, he continues to show us how gracious God is and that he wants us to come to him with requests that he is eager to answer. Let's look at Luke 11, 5 to 13. Luke 11, 5 to 13, and I'm getting used to not uh, getting tangled up in my headphone wire here, so bear with me. 11, 5 to 13, and he said to them, which of you has a friend? will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence. He will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? We have a, a lesser to greater line of reasoning here, working from the lesser friend and father to the greater God. Jesus teaches us that if a human friend or father who are evil sinners, can be found to give what we request, how much more so will our Heavenly Father, who is not evil, not a sinner, but holy, do so? 
God who is good and holy has taught us how to pray so that we would know that when we go to him with our petitions, he is eager to respond to our benefit. In addition to being a great source of comfort for our souls, the Lord's prayer also aids us in our response to any and all temptations of sin, including lawlessness and bad government. Let me tell you, bad government can be a temptation to sin. Don't think it can't. Reacting to the lawlessness all around you can be a temptation to sin. And so we have the Lord's Prayer. Think about how it shapes our daily lives. You're sipping your morning cup of joe when you come across this article. This one is our example, right? Leftists renounce Independence Day on Twitter. Burn country to ground. You're a repentant Christian who doesn't want to respond sinfully. The Lord has taught you to pray rightly. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you put your spiritual boot firmly on your old Adam's forehead, and you shove him back under those drowning waters of baptism. Bubble, bubble, gurgle, gurgle, and your new man in Christ emerges, remembers the first petition of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name. And what does it mean to pray that God's name is hallowed? Luther writes plainly in the small catechism, God's name is kept holy when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity, and we as the children of God also lead holy lives according to it. Help us to do this, dear Father in heaven. But anyone who teaches or, teaches or lives contrary to God's word profanes the name of God among us. Protect us from this, Heavenly Father. This is Second Commandment stuff. Exodus 20, verse 7 stuff. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Again, Luther gives the head of the family, <laughs> Mr. Frey, a simple way to teach his household. He says to explain that this commandment means that we should fear and love God so that we do not curse, swear, use satanic arts, lie or deceive by his name, but call upon it in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. So that's dealing with the misuse of God's name. The breaking of the second commandment is a byproduct. It's kind of the first thing that pops out at us, Christians. But then there's still the burning activity. There's the lawlessness. There's this reaction to what they consider bad government. We might consider something else to be bad government. Now we're going to lean on Luther again. He does a good job of explaining the richness of the Lord's Prayer here. And he takes us to the fourth petition, give us each day our daily bread. Unpacking this simple request, Luther says, we pray in this petition that God would lead us to realize that God gives us our daily bread and to receive it with thanksgiving. Who gives us our daily bread? God does. Daily bread includes everything that has to do with support and the needs of the body, such as food, drink, clothing, shoes, house, home, land, animals, money, goods, a devout husband or wife devout children, devout workers, devout and faithful rulers, good government, good weather, peace, health, self-control, good reputation, good friends, faithful neighbors, not lawless ones, and the like. Now, I live in California. We produce, they say, uh, just repeating what I've learned, two-thirds of the country's fruits and nuts. We produce one-third of the country's vegetables. 
my experts say, we're in an ongoing and extreme drought. To look all that kind of stuff up yourself. Don't just, this is what I have heard, okay? State laws continue to make it harder and harder for farmers to grow crops. Now, that is obvious. When I pray the Lord's Prayer out here in California, I'm recognizing that God is the one, God is the one who gives us bread. And what I'm asking for in give me this day my daily bread, our daily bread, I'm asking for God to give us a devout and faithful governor and state officials who will carry out government policies and duties well who will institute good activity for the state so that all of my countrymen and the whole world, really, will have daily bread. But in this case with California, two-thirds of our fruits and nuts, one-third of our vegetables. So when I'm praying the Lord's Prayer, I'm praying for you, my friends, wherever you are, that you would have your daily bread. Our prayers are literally an act of engagement in our society. When you pray the Lord's Prayer, you're not just praying some rote, memorized prayer. The Lord didn't teach us that for that reason, teach us it for that reason. He taught us what we need to pray for every need in this life. And so when you pray for daily bread, you're praying that people will be lawful. You're praying for good rulers, good in our country, good public servants to exercise their authority rightly. There are supply chain issues. So what do you do? Pray the Lord's Prayer. Gas, diesel, fuel is at extreme highs right now. What do you do? Pray the Lord's Prayer. Pray the Lord's Prayer. You're thinking about not driving so much or not doing this or not. That, that stuff's good too, but pray the Lord's Prayer. So that the truckers would actually be able to deliver the food and all the different processes, the supply chain. The, the war in Ukraine continues between Russia and Ukraine, limiting global grain output and fertilizer distribution. What do you do? Pray the Lord's Prayer. Pray the Lord's Prayer for daily bread. It was reported that thousands of cattle died in Kansas due to a, a heat wave recently. Read that article. Kansas is one of three of our largest beef producers. What do you do? Now, that's not lawlessness or bad government, but it is a prayer for good weather also in the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Pray the Lord's Prayer. The fourth petition, daily bread. Engage, use your war belt, and react properly. As we wrap up, I want to take us to Luther's large catechism. Now, the small catechism is familiar to most Lutherans, should be, all Lutherans. Uh, it's where... Luther is writing to the heads of the households, those people that upset Attorney General Frey, the husbands. Here he's writing to pastors to teach them a little more in depth, those who maybe are struggling in this era of transition to the Reformation, to teach God's Word faithfully. And so he breaks down the same chief parts from the small catechism into the large catechism and goes a little deeper for the pastor. And here we're on the first article of the Apostles' Creed. Where we talk about you know, when we confess, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Luther's talking about here the creator aspect, this word creator and everything that's packed into that. And really, we find some great comfort for the soul here too in, face, in the face of lawlessness and bad government. Listen to what he has to say. 
God gives all physical and temporal blessings, good government, peace, security. God gives those things. God does. So we want to pray for those things. Thus, we learn from this article of the Apostles' Creed that none of us has life or anything else that has been mentioned here or can be, can be mentioned from ourselves, nor can we by ourselves preserve any of them, however small and unimportant they may seem. All this is comprehended in the word creator. We are not our own gods. Everything comes from God's hand. He's aware of how we're abusing it and wrecking it. He's aware of the lawlessness. He's aware of bad government. He's aware of rash reactions to these things. He is aware and in control. He's the creator of them. So moreover, Luther says, we also confess that God the Father has given us not only all that we have and what we see before our eyes, but also that he daily guards and defends us against every evil and misfortune, warding off all sorts of danger and disaster. All this he does out of pure love and goodness, without our merit, as a kind father who cares for us so that no evil may befall us. That's comfort for the soul the one who created all of this, the one who taught us how to pray, the, the one who is in charge is still in charge, the king of kings, ruler of rulers, the creator. He's in charge. Now, cross defense is over. An hour goes by in the blink of an eye. I'm sorry we have to part ways, but that is it for this episode. Make sure to check out the rest of KFUO's programming while you're on the website, kfuo.org, if that is where you're listening. You can listen here as the show's air, or you can listen on demand. I'm sure if you're on the website right now, you know that already, but if you don't, there you go. There's the information for you. You can also listen on your favorite podcast app. So if you're doing that, if that's you, please take a minute and leave a review. Let the world know if this show challenged you theologically, if it's exciting your imagination, if it's equipping your soul, or equipping your mind and comforting your soul, <laughs> if it's doing the things we say we're trying to do, please leave a positive review and let people know it is accomplishing that task and that you enjoy this content. With that said, if you want to reach out to me between now and the next episode next week, you can do so at my church's website. Go to the contact page at stmarksferndale.com. That's S-T-M-A-R-K-S, ferndale.com, and leave me a message, stmarksferndale.com. I'd love to hear from you in the meantime, in the mean, meantime, we've said that twice now in a row. Uh, to conclude, finally, let's pray the Lord's Prayer. There is a lot of lawlessness. There's a lot of bad governmental activity happening around us. It's always there. This is the world we live in. It's full of sinners. Let's pray to the sinless one who taught us how to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.
Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org.